1: for me the first one particularly for young entrepreneurs right? particularly for people that are you know maybe just getting started in their career number 1 would be to expose yourself right to, to get out there introduce yourself get introduced to all of these different things that you don't know how to do right that you've never that you've never had exposure to and and, and try to understand it right even if it has nothing to do with what you're doing today just learn Number two, learn to work with people that are more senior than you. If you constantly are working with people more junior than you, how can you expect to grow? How can you expect to learn, right? So you need to be able to learn how to work with the people that know more than you, that can push you, that can drive you. Number three, identify your North Star, right? What What do you care about as a company? Setting a North Star as a company, as a business is incredibly important to be able to get all of your people on the same page, get everyone working towards the same thing. Number four, what I'd say is uh, be bold in creating, right? You know, Everyone loves a bold, creative uh, disruptor, but also in destroying. This is also including the work that you have done, the work that you've already set up, the work that you've already done. Yes, create boldly, but also don't be afraid to destroy boldly.
2: And good evening, good morning, good afternoon to wherever you are watching my podcast from all over the Philippines and from all over the world. Welcome again to the RJ Ledesma podcast. Now, in the RJ Ledesma podcast, I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs to learn more about how they think about doing business. What are their success secrets? Can we hack those same success secrets? How they innovated their businesses during this pandemic, and more importantly, what opportunities do they see emerging in this, the new new normal? Is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the show? Please let me know. I would love to have them here and learn from them. Just drop me a message. We are also live right now on Kumu, CBRC TV, TV, and the Bounce Back Network. Now, if you have been enjoying my podcast and you are learning a lot from it, please do tell more your, tell more of your friends about it and subscribe and listen to the podcast you can also catch us on youtube now before we start with the podcast here's a quick shout out to our friends from vessel now vessel ph can help you future proof your business by boosting your digital presence and making sure that you can attract more customers and more sales to find out more about vessel please click on the link in my description tonight long time no see for me and my guests here tonight we actually uh, had a quick chat last tuesday right before my previous podcast and i was so happy Uh, to talk to him, to throw ideas together with him because we belong basically to the same food business industry ecosystem. I'm looking forward to growing our businesses over here and helping a lot of small and micro food entrepreneurs. My guest here tonight is one of the co-founders of Cravers Group, which is best known for being the fastest-growing cloud kitchen network here in the Philippines, which is called Cravers Canteen. My guest tonight is Victor Lim. Now, cloud kitchens, if you aren't too familiar with the concept just yet, he will be explaining that concept here later on but it truly gained a lot of traction during this pandemic he built over 11 cloud kitchens across the country and Kravers, right now currently serves well-known brands such as the foodie group which is which does uh Wan, which does Mesa. they also do pizza hut and other private label brands and in july 2021 cravers partnered up with our good friends as well grab philippines to set up grab kitchen for restaurants without physical locations then, less than a year after, they put up, wow, this is very interesting, and we look forward to discussing this more in the podcast, which b- basically a meta delivery and dining experience. But more than that, a really, really great piece of news. They've got a new series, a funding, and we will allow our guests to tell us more about it. Please welcome here on the show, Mr. Victor Lim. Vic, welcome to the show. Hey, RJ. Thanks so much for having me, and good to see you again. Good to see you as well. Long, like I said, long time no see. So really great. I, I couldn't wait to talk to you again. So I took the show for an opportunity to talk for us to have a, a very a loud conversation and, and a shared conversation uh, with all the entrepreneurs out there. So VL, great. big news. Actually, this is this is very interesting. We've been planning for this talk, but you know what? A great. You know, I was going to share really great piece of news about about Cravers here, but something overtook that because this morning you just found out that you were one of 300 across Asia Pacific to be third, uh, Forbes 30 under 30. That, that That's very exciting. Tell us a bit, Mara, how, how, just how, <laughs> how just how how blown away is your mind by this?
1: <laughs> super, super. I was, you know, I, I had woken up in the morning and it was the first email that I had received. And I mean, throughout the whole day, I was still trying to just collect my thoughts and trying to go about the day as if nothing had changed. But um, no, I've been super wild. I'm still a bit in shock. Um, you know, it's an incredible honor. Uh, obviously, just to be recognized by Forbes is already really incredible. Um, and then on top of that, yeah, I mean, I think there are only something like um, like seven. The- There's just seven of you from the Philippines. Um, and, That's you know, right. You shared an article. You know, something like seven Filipino companies that had been recognized. So definitely, just very hard. You know, happy to be a part of that, even at all.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 having said that, I mean, just i for some people i mean i appreciate how just how massive this can be but then can you give us just an idea for those who might not be aware just how i guess crucial it would be i mean in building the image of of, of craver's campaign how crucial has is it that, that you were identified as one of Forbes' 30 under 30. how do you feel about that
1: uh yeah i mean it's it's huge uh i mean it's great right so so you know i think Anytime you can get some sort of acknowledgement from these, um, you know, the larger companies, larger establishments, right? It's really just a, a show of credibility, a show of, you know, the hard work that you put in. I mean, it was definitely a long process, right? The whole process of getting, you know, um, nominated, getting selected, the interviewing process and all of that. But definitely relevant, right? Um, I, I mean, it's a cool acknowledgement. Uh, but really, I think it's, uh, it's just a great thing to be able to share with the team as well, right? Everyone has been working very hard for it. Um, I feel a little bit bad that it's only my name when in reality, right? There's really so many people that, that have been working towards this, that have made this very possible, but definitely, you know, we're, we're, uh, I mean, it's a great sign, right? Uh, <laughs> again, a, a very big honor.
2: Yeah, I know that your folks are based out of Korea.
1: Did you let them know the good news? Do they know? I did, I did. They were super excited. Yeah, I mean, definitely very good news to share. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I <laughs> know, it's know it's
2: It's still the day of sharing. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm guessing it's still overwhelming. So again, guys, let's congratulate uh, Vic on this honor, not just for us, but for the country really here right now. And on top of that one, so let's share the other piece of great news. It came out a couple of weeks ago, but this is really, uh, this is fantastic news, not just for your company, but again, it's great news for the momentum of the uh, Philippine ecosystem, basically, tech startup ecosystem, that you guys just got your Series A funding. That's about $3 million to help build Craver's Canteen. Now, this is there's the, it's, it's great news on, on many levels. First, of course, obviously, it's an affirmation of what you guys are doing over here. Uh, but more than that one, um, it's the first time that the venture capitalists behind your Series A are actually investing here in the Philippines. Tell us a bit more about that, but just... How big is it that you got Series A from a particular venture capital fund called Quest?
1: Yeah, so uh, it's a huge milestone actually and I think um I, I you know again such an honor to be a part of that but I you know definitely to your point right um it's very indicative about you know what's coming ahead not only for you know for us as a company but more broadly for the Philippines as a whole. Um you know I think uh, you know anyone who's been in the startup ecosystem the last few years you know, raising from regional funds is notoriously difficult for Filipino companies. And it's because, I mean, it's several different reasons, right? Philippines in general is quite a tough market to crack. And, you know, there are very few companies that have shown their ability to be able to do this. Yeah, I mean, the, the digitalization, the ripening of the economy, right? These type of things are, you know, all of these different factors have to come into play. Um, But what we're really seeing now and what you'll see in, you know, a lot of the investor reports and, you know, broadly, uh, you know, across the startup ecosystem as a whole, you know, 2021 was one of the biggest years in the Philippines for, for raising funds. You know, a lot of new investors are starting to come in. And this investment from Quest is is very attractive, um, very interesting for a couple of reasons, right? So number one, obviously being Series A, very attractive, very cool for us as a company. But Quest is, uh, you know, notoriously one of the more difficult companies to get a hold of because they're backed by Temasek, the the sovereign wealth of Singapore. So their whole process is very very stringent, very tight, right? They look for very specific things. They need to have very sure proof of concepts. Right, so by Quest coming in and saying, "Hey, this is going to be our first investment into the Philippines," um, it's a good show of faith from them. I know that they're already in discussions with several other companies, right? And and they definitely intend to continue investing into the Philippines. So I'm just happy that we were, you know, kind of the one to open up that floodgate, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely think that in the broader picture, in the broader sense, it's much more interesting for the Filipino market as a whole.
0: Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
2: And who are the other companies? Just curious, who are the other companies that the Quest has invested in that, that you know, we might be familiar with?
1: Sure. Um, so uh, they've invested into, I think, three or four unicorns already. So Carousel, um, they were one of the very first early checks of Carousel, of Shopback. Yeah, I mean, so it's so a couple of other, uh, you know, they invested into Yummy Corp, which is one of the largest in the um, the largest B2B cloud kitchen in Indonesia, as well as a couple of other cloud kitchens in the region, in fact. So um, it's interesting because definitely when they think about a category or when they think about a segment, they really want to make sure that they're you know, picking the best bets across several different segments. right? So we were actually the third or fourth uh, cloud kitchen investment from them. Um, but yeah, true. I mean, generally, right? They, they invest across the region, all countries, right? they put a lot more money into Singapore, into Indonesia, of course, in the last few years. I'm hoping 2022 2023 will you know be the years of uh, Quest coming more into the Philippines.
2: Great news and thanks thanks for helping usher in Quest I- into the country. Now, for the for the people who might not be too familiar, uh, I just need to step back again. I know we've done this in several shows, but then what exactly does it mean when you get into series A? Uh, how do you, I mean, I know obviously there's a what they call pre-series A or, or, or over or even angel investors. What does it mean when you get the Series A? What stamp of approval do you need, or what the, the, what are companies looking for, and what amount is, is Series A?
1: Sure. So, you know, I guess when you're for the startup journey life, right, just to take a quick run through of it, right, I guess for us, this would be the third major investment milestone that we've achieved, right? So, the very first one is angel investments. So, these are the people that from the very beginning, right, before you have anything when it's purely just an idea, these are the people that will invest into you, that will commit. Right. Um, and they're prepared to, you know, pretty much lose all of that money, right? They're really taking a gamble on on uh, purely just an idea. Right. Now angel investments, right? A lot, you know, pretty easy I guess relatively easy to raise angel investments, but to get to the next stage, right, stage two, which is the seed fund, is a little bit different, right? Because this is then where you know the most important thing on the seed fund is to show traction, to show that look, we can actually sell this product, people actually want this product. Right, um, we're going to be able to sell something that people want. Right, so there's a little bit less attention to profitability and team and you know and things like that. It's a, it's a little bit more focused on this concept actually might work. Right, um, so for us, when we got to the seed funding stage, which was uh, late uh, early last year in 2021. Um, you know we were fortunate to raise our seed funding from foxmont capital which is one of the you know one of the local start uh, local uh, venture funds here in the philippines invested into many many different early stage companies uh, where we were honored to be the first time that Foxmont had ever led a seed, a seed round, right so um just to take a quick step there so to lead around right when an investor leads around really means that they were the first one to say look we'll give you this amount of money. Mm-hmm. For, the, you know, this amount of shares, right? So they're saying, I, I think your company is worth this amount of money, right? And then they're going to give you that amount of the, the, the relevant amount of money, right? So, so they were the ones who dictated the, the price, right? they were the ones who told us what they think our company is worth. And then all of our other investors had just said, yes, I agree with you. Okay. right? And they've also participated in that round. Now, Series A, the key milestone there is to show. Look, we have a business. We're a solid team. We're a legitimate business. We're able to actually show that we can run this. That you know, we might not still be profitable yet, but we're on our track. There's a clear track towards that, right? So now we've shown that from a unit economic perspective, from you know, just looking at one business unit, we shows that this works. So to be able to make this go from one unit to ten units, ten units to hundred units. I'm going to show our investors that, you know, we're going to take care of your money right now. It's just a question of how how fast can we scale this, Mm -hmm. right? Less about if this is a real concept or not, right? So the milestone for us during this series is we've proved to Quest this is not just the fluke. This is not a one-off thing. This is not just a pandemic thing. This is a real legitimate business that we're prepared to scale. And this is how we're going to scale it
2: and I'm just guessing I mean, this is my presumption is that because they've been investing in several cloud kitchens across the region, I'm guessing that they get they get you to to talk shop with your other fellow cloud kitchens in other countries to see what are the best practices because I mean that's their that's their money, so i hope I hope that that's benefited you. That might be one of Quest's uh investees uh
1: definitely one of the perks, right? just as much it is for any of our investors, any of the advisors that we get in. Being able to connect to their network, um, their knowledge, their advice is very, very important to us, which is also why we've been very protective, right, about who we let into our cap table, because we want to make sure that all the investors we're coming, you know, into, into us are actually contributing something, right? We don't want money for the sake of raising money. We want mm-hmm. advisors, we want people that are gonna help, you know, guide us along the way.
2: And talking about cap table. But I'm familiar with maybe for the others. I hope you don't mind a step back. What does cap table mean? So for people going first timers, doing startups, going, what's a cap table? Or why is it important?
1: Sure. So cap table is your capital table, right? So basically what percentage of your company is owned by which people, right? So, um, you know, the founders, when they create the company, right, if they're the only ones that were creating the company, they would own 100% of the company. Let's just say as an example, right? And then as they raise investors, they say, hey, okay, if you give me just as an example, $1 and million, I'll give you half of the company, right? So now the investor has 50% of the companies and the founders have the other 50% of the company. Right? And then as you keep raising round, you keep saying, okay, look, I'm going to create this amount of shares. I'm going to give away this amount of the company uh, for this amount of money, right? So over time, as you get more investors, right, different investors will hold a different amount of each, you know, of, of the shares of the company, uh, which kind of dictates how much, you know, if we are able to exit, if we are able to get acquired or IPO or whatever, that would ultimately be their share of the overall profits, right?
2: Got that. Now. Uh, the, the other thing I find very interesting r- right now is that, and on the show, it's not—it's um, you know I've had so many people uh, expats or people you know uh, not of Filipino origin who who've, who've actually came over here or were already working here, and then put up their own business. And, and and for you, Victor, I understand that you 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 were in the country, but you were also you've traveled extensively, you worked abroad extensively. What did you find as as why the Philippines is a great oper- place to do business? Because sometimes many Filipinos are very jaded by their you know by by living here. They go you know there's there's so much uh, inefficiency. It's so much red tape. So much, I guess, the people, there's some so much corruption. They go, I want to live. I want to migrate somewhere else and, and live somewhere else. But then there are people like you who are actually coming to the Philippines and saying, you know, putting on your entrepreneurial hat and saying, hey, there's a lot of opportunity over here. So help us better understand, like for yourself, you, you mean you've you made the Philippines your home. You became Forbes 30 under 30 here in the Philippines. That, that, that says something. So wh- what are you seeing about the Philippines that you think uh, makes it, I guess, stand
1: out? Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, first and foremost, of course, for personal reasons, for, for whatever, I mean, obviously, beautiful country, beautiful place to be. People spend their whole lives working in the U.S. or, you know, London or wherever, and just to be able to vacation here for a week or two, you know what I mean? Uh, so, I mean, personal reasons, there's a lot of other reasons. I, uh, you know, I was also very fortunate to meet the love of my life, who happens to be Filipina. Um, so, that, of course, contributes to the factors as well. Um but you know, um, generally, so so early on in my career, I, I was able to spend some time in Indonesia um, when I joined the Solara team there, uh, very early days. And then you know, I spent a couple of years there before I you know transferred to Singapore. Spent a couple of years in Singapore. Uh, continuing to do that kind of work before I, I, I returned to, or not returned, before I went to London um, to do my own kind of startup there, before I came here to build. So that was a bit my journey, my my route there. But, you know, what, what I had realized was that, well, number one, building inside of Southeast Asia was so much more interesting and so much more fulfilling than building inside of the U.S. or inside of London. Like, obviously, living in the U.S., living in London, great cities to be in, great countries to be in, you know, lots of perks. But... Oh, I've always been a builder. I've always wanted to do something. I've always wanted to have a meaningful impact, right? And it's, it's much harder to do there, number one, but number two, I mean, the things that need to be built are already built, right? Uh, I mean, it, you know, there are certain perks of being there and, and, and whatnot, but um, really the Philippines is on the rise. Builders are being able to build, they're being enabled, right? And I, you know, I just don't know if everyone fully understands just how exciting the time is now in the Philippines. You know, the, the rise of these companies, you know, startups building on top of startups, you know, and, 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 you know, the, the ecosystem looked very, very, very different even just 10 years ago, right? So things are very changing right before people's eyes, right? And, and it's happening everywhere. And uh, I always knew that I wanted to be a part of that, right? I always knew that that's where I would have more impact. Right. And learn more, also.
2: And uh, I know that your background is e-commerce. Tell us a bit more. I mean, people don't realize that we're one of the fastest-growing e-commerce countries—not yeah. not, not not just in Southeast Asia, but the world. And you're not—you're yeah. not the only one to have noticed this one. Tell us a bit more about that, because that—that's uh, one of your backgrounds.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I mean, it went from zero to hundred real quick, right? um I mean, the the adoption of mobile phones, of smartphones, of Facebook. Um, I think right, Philippines is still considered one of the largest Facebook nations in the world. Uh, I mean, it's wild, right? So, so you know, I, part of the reason I think is, is for that, right? Is that the the consumer and the private, you know, our company type of sectors, you know, these technologies infiltrated the in com- uh, infiltrated the country very very quickly, right? And people were able to get access to these type of things much more quickly than you know some of the infrastructure or you know government or some of these other slower plays that take a bit more time. And so, yeah, I mean, the consumer goods are coming in, these consumer behaviors are coming in very quickly and being adopted very quickly. Um, You know, one of the kind of numbers I always like to throw out is that, you know, grab food only came into the country 2018, right, Um, which is only four years ago, which is kind of crazy to think about, like, how many people wouldn't have been able to survive the pandemic without grab food. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, these things happened very quickly. It escalated very quickly. The pandemic made everything 10 times faster, right, in terms of digital adoption. Um, But even, you know, with or without pandemic, the Philippines was on the right track. It was on the right move you know, Coins.ph, uh, which had done one of the, you know, one of the first major uh, exits here uh, in the Philippines, right? I mean, it, it, it became one of the first crypto countries, one of the first, um, you know, blockchain companies leading in adoption of this, you know, NFT web, Web3 Web type adoption, um, you know. So, uh, Philippines is really, really, I, I mean, going from zero to hundred, right? It's adopting very, very quickly and, and Filipinos are very smart, right? And they're really realizing what these opportunities mean and everyone's just scrambling to 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 get a piece of it right.
2: Oh fantastic. Th- thanks so much for, for clarifying all these things. And it's it's always very nice to hear from an outsider's perspective of just how how much potential, rich potential there is here in the country. Now let's let's move on now because you know I didn't give you a chance yet to explain all what Craver's canteen is all about. But you know how would we if you were to give this, you know, when you were pitching this to investors, what was your what was your I guess your investors technical pitch that you were giving to the investors? Of of what Craver's campaign was all about.
1: Yeah, so you know, you know when we first started out, to be honest, we didn't know what we were looking for, right? We knew that the cloud kitchen model had merit to it. You know, we had seen some of the cloud kitchens around the world, uh, most notably from Travis Kalanick, the former founder of uh, of, of Uber. Of, uh, and, uh, Uber, yeah. Right, um, the former founder and CEO of Uber, he created this company called Cloud Kitchens, which had raised you know four hundred million dollars a couple of years back, made global headlines, and all of these things. Um, so I mean, there was some awareness around it, right? Um, of course, with Grab Food, you know, rising, Food Panda rising, the digital food system, you know, the the game here was definitely increasing, right? Um, and and definitely the people were you know starting to adopt this behavior. So we knew that there was an economy here that was developing and very few players that were giving dedicated attention to it, right? Most restaurants were just thinking about it as an add-on feature, right? So we knew that there was some opportunity here. We didn't know exactly what it was, but that we would try and that we'd flesh it out, right? So at the very beginning, when we had started out, you know, the the very, very basic principle of a cloud kitchen is we serve food for delivery and takeout, right? We don't have the dine-in portion. We're not a restaurant. We don't have the ambiance. We purely focus on the kitchen operations, right? So, you know, early on in the pandemic, most people really just thought about it as, well, restaurant without the dine-in, right? And during the pandemic, of course, Everyone was a cloud kitchen, literally, right? Literally every single F&B company was a cloud kitchen. Uh, all of these entrepreneurs were also building their brands, um, you know, building up these things. So, so uh, you know, there's so many people that can legitimately say, I was running a cloud kitchen during the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, what we realized is, okay, that's just the very first step, right? But for us to really be the leader in this, we need to continue to understand it, to continue experimenting and continue to keep trying to figure out what this opportunity means for us and how do we utilize that to our advantage, right? So our model has evolved quite a bit over time, right? We do services, we, we, we have subleasing, we you know, share the space with our brands, we share manpower with our brands, um, logistics, the infrastructure, right? We're able to commercialize all of these things to be able to help an f brand grow online, right? Wow um, so which is yeah <laughs> so when you when you began this
2: which is which I find pretty interesting when you think about it, okay, so I often ask people you know, the what pain point did you start with i mean that that's the first way to think about it because yours came from the idea that there there is a i mean i'm trying to think, I'm just trying to reconcile things the cloud kitchen concept seems to work abroad, let's bring it here, but then uh let's let's try the model for the philippine experience so that was more where you were coming from and not coming from. There's something missing or there's something being underserved over here. If you don't mind, maybe you can help bring me through that. You know, how, how did you how did you go through that that entrepreneurial process to say finally, let's let's get things off the ground?
1: Yeah. So I, I agree with you. Right? It wasn't it wasn't so much a problem statement for us at the time of inception. It was really more there's some opportunity here, let's figure it out. Okay. Right. So we had seen, you know, Travis Kalinick doing his business where his business was buy properties, make them smaller kitchens, and then lease out those kitchens, right? So, which, you know, when we were starting out, that was always in the back of our minds as well, right? We can move into a kitchen, we can move into a property that's bigger than what we need, and then share that extra space with other brands. Sure, right, conceptually, very straightforward. We do a revenue share, right? Nothing mind-blowingly complicated about that. But the thing is, then, what does that really make us, right? That would, we didn't want to be a real estate company. We're not trying to compete with the malls. We're not trying to be, you know, just to create, buy properties and flip them. You know, we, we, we're food operators at the very core, right? Yeah, I mean, but nonetheless, we, we knew that that was a starting point, right? So we were building our own brands. We were pumping food out, trying to understand what a cloud kitchen operation looks like. So we can start developing service solutions. But then meanwhile, we already started with the very first thing that we could think of, which was to share the space, right? And then we got very early partners like Tiger Sugar, Taco Bell, Dairy Queen, uh, who, you know, wanted to work with us because they wanted to save costs, right? We were able to offer that to them. Great. Now, as the pandemic continued, I, I don't think anyone expected the pandemic to last two full years, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, early on, a lot of the brands were resistant. They're saying, no, don't worry. You know, just survive the first couple months or whatever. But as the pandemic raged, suddenly everyone was thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, now I need to actually figure this out. Now I need to actually understand what this means. But when they had reached that realization, we had already known what works and what doesn't work because we've been experimenting with it for the last, you know, year or six months or whatever. And so by that point, we were also uh, we had already built the infrastructure that we need to operate our own brands. And then we were able to come to, you know, turn to these other brands and say, hey, look, we understand exactly your pain point. We've gone through this over and over and over and over again. Here's how we can help you. Here's all of the things that we can offer. Now, not all of these brands need all of these things, right? Some of these brands have different realities, right? Some of them are very friendly already to be operated in kiosks or some of them are are very protective about certain aspects. So we realize that we recognize that we're not going to ask a brand to do something that they're not comfortable with. But our service solutions have become so robust over the course of the pandemic that we suddenly realize, look, we can actually work with all of you guys. We understand all of your pain points. It's just a question of which ones are the most important for you. And then how do we address that for you? Because we've already suffered this and we've already figured out our own solution for it.
2: Great. So it was sort of like something that you, it's like you were, it's like, I, I would call sort of like management on the go. So um, and, and, and as you were doing that, my, my my thinking is just this one, that you were able to bring in investors, but even if you weren't too clear on where you were going. I mean, that was, I mean, for me, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, if you look at, Older, more traditional investors they were going to go. I'm not going to give you my money and and let you, uh, let you figure things out on the way. But that for me, that appears to be what the investors here were looking for. That that you know, put it up and let's see where it takes you. Is that is that a correct uh, understanding or uh, somewhere where where the, where the? I mean, you have to be in the same shared value with the investor, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, you know, when you say it out loud, it, I guess it does sound a little. It sounds a little bit silly, right, for us to not really know. Well, at the time we had started but you know the reality is that's what most startups are right most startups are they have some idea, they have some ambition, they want to try to figure out how to solve it. They don't know they don't know exactly how they're going to solve it right If they knew then that company would already exist right So it, I mean it sounds a counter it sounds a bit counterintuitive but that is kind of the reality of it right that we you know had some sort of value you know some sort of statement, something that we wanted to test, and that, you know, with the angel funding that we had received, we were able to do some basic initial testing of that proof of concept, right? But, you know, to your question earlier, asking about angel fund, seed fund, series A, this is exactly the point was that by the time we reach seed funding, if we're going to get a legitimate institution like Foxmont Capital, then we need to be able to show like this is, we're no longer just shooting in the wild. We're not shooting in the dark, right? We have something that we're working towards. We're still not there yet but we know what we're working towards now, right? And that was really the milestone for seed round, right? To be able to show, we know what we're working towards, we're not there yet, but we're working towards it, right? And then series A now, again, just to reiterate, is now, okay, look, we've done some initial proof of concept, now let's scale it, right? Before we get to series B, which is then, okay, we've already scaled it, we're gonna continue to scale it, right, series C and series D onwards, right? Yeah, uh,
2: and this is what I find all equally interesting that, you, that you're you're one of the co-founders, and you've got you've got really great partners on board, I must say. Of course, Eric D. We've had him here on the show before for Foodie. He's very strong in the restaurant industry in his own right, and you've got Victor Mapua. Tell us how he's able to. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure out right now how did the whole sort of group come together, and you know, this is a perfect mix of personalities, I, w- I would say. Tell us how how do you build a great startup team like that, or how do you find great co-founders like that?
1: This one was. Very interesting. So, I okay. What I will say is that our startup origin story is a little non-traditional. You know, most startup stories go that you have co-founders that you know had some idea, they came together, they started building on it, then they raised their investors, and then so on from there. But in our case, it was actually a group that had come together from the very beginning. So guys, like, so, I mean, the three co-founders, we all had some indirect ties with each other, but we had guys like Paulo Campos, the CEO of Zalora, um, and, and, you know, Brian Koo, the, you know, the former CEO of Grab, and, um, uh, you know, Chris Paul from, from Century Pacific and chairman of Shakey's, and, and, you know, all of these different players that had come together and were saying, look, something is happening here. Something is happening in this cloud kitchen space, and, and we don't know exactly what it is. Let's try to figure out what it is, right? So early days, we were, you know, then that was when I had come in with the team and we started to put together some ideas. You know, we had formulated this idea. We had started our meetings. We had, you know, kind of putting together all of our plans two or three, you know, two or three months before we had even considered incorporating, um, right? This was in 2019 before the pandemic. So quite a few steps to get there, right? And so I was a bit fortunate, I guess, in that sense to, you know, have started with some pretty great partners to begin with. Uh, you know, which I, again is non-traditional. Right. But yeah, I mean, definitely the importance, uh, I think from the beginning, you know, we had all known that the partners that we bring in, each one of them are going to be uh, extremely important. Right. And each one of them needs to contribute something very different and, and, and very valuable to each other. Right. So um, even between the three co-founders, just for reference, right. So so my background is always more kind of like tech and, and, and digital disruption um, you know where I had known guys like Paulo and Brian from my Zolora days. Eric obviously is our food guy, right? Um, you know, re- really being able to bring in that knowledge, his expertise um, from his business for the last 30 years. Uh, and Vic Mapua, you know, our finance guy. Um, you know, with with. HSBC and a couple of traditional retail businesses. So, really different personalities that had come together, and we realized collectively between all of the partners that had formulated this idea. Look, this is the group that makes sense to run the business. This is how each one of these different players can contribute different things, and we had assigned roles and kind of fixed everything very early on. Right. So while I was very fortunate to have that jumpstart, you know what I would say in previous startups uh, that wasn't always the case, right? And and so definitely what I would say is uh, you know, for, for entrepreneurs, whether aspiring or current, you know, having that strong team, having strong co-founders, having strong investors, incredibly important, right? There's no way you can do it on your own, right? Unless you're, you know, a certified genius, you know, you can't do it on your own. So incredibly important to, you know, have the right partners to have the right team, you know, from the very beginning.
2: Now you were able to grow from one cloud kitchen to 11 cloud kitchens, uh, amidst this pandemic. And you were telling me earlier on that, you know, you, you develop sort of like customized solutions or customized. partners. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not really the cloud kitchen as we know it. It's actually the Cravers business model for how a cloud kitchen should work everything else. So just help me a, a better understand right now, when we're looking at what you guys are doing, what exactly is the business model of, of what you guys are doing and what makes it different? Without revealing, I guess, your secret sauce, no, but what makes it a bit different now uh, from other people trying to put up cloud kitchens?
1: So, you know, I think the, the, the big idea behind what we're building and what we're working towards is that, okay, so, so okay, the, the, the first of all, the big idea behind our company overall, right, what we're trying to achieve is the maximum amount of food in the minimum amount of space, right? Broadly, that's what we're trying to achieve. How do we output the most amount of quality output food that people actually are interested in? In the minimum amount of space right and there's a lot of different ways that we can go about that right whether we build our own brands whether we build partner brands or we're operating as services or we want to play it as a purchasing game right there's, there's a lot of different things that we can experiment with but at the core of it that's what we we're trying to accomplish right is, is trying to really optimize kind of the sales potential per square meter right so w- when we were first starting out really right we just we needed to understand what it was, what it means, how do we solve these pain points, right? Us building private label brands, we had to suffer through these same problems, dealing with the aggregators, dealing with suppliers, dealing with price changes, dealing with logistics all of these other things, right? Um, and so we had built this incredibly large and powerful back office infrastructure, right? To be able to handle these quick service aspects, right? We wanted to pump out, you know, 20 different brands coming out of one location, but all 20 of these brands need to be able to fulfill their deliveries in 10 to 20 minutes, right? Um, it's gotta be fast, it's gotta be efficient, and it's gotta be quality. Yeah, I mean, all of these things combined, right? And, 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 and you know, we need to be able to, um, but, but these pain points that all of these restaurants are going through, we can actually share this burden, we can share these costs. Um, and, and, and by sharing it, we save and drive value for everybody. So, case in point, um let's say that we are you know, trying to expand right um, one of the things that we're looking at towards this you know towards the end of this year is how do we build our first kitchens in Cebu and Davao, and how do we bring our brands over there so there's a lot of problems that we're trying to tackle now right logistics, the freight the, the the commissary, the warehouse right all of these uh, all of these problems that we're trying to deal with where we're trying to set up this infrastructure, and when we talk to our partner brands, we realize look all of them haven't, or not all of them, but a lot of them haven't expanded into Cebu or Davao for these exact same reasons. So if we're able to build these infrastructure for them, we share these resources, then we can both do it at half of the cost, right? And we can save these costs, pass them off to each other, right? And create value for each other. And so that's really the core idea behind what we're trying to do as far as the service side of our platform goes, right? Is that we have to do this anyways. Why not just commercialize and and be able to help these other brands who are on the same journey as us. Right?
2: So it's like a sh- it's like a shared scaling, if you think about Definitely. it.
1: Definitely, yeah. So if these other brands do well, then you guys do
2: well as well. I guess that's how you're trying to build the yeah. ecosystem for you guys who are here. Now, mm-hmm. mo- moving on with, with the brands, you know, I, I understand that for the Cloud Kitchen, many of them, as I've seen, you know, is that usually they either develop their own in-house brands and then make it just all look different, or they carry brands for, for other people. So for you guys, you, you do a mix of both, right? You have your own, I guess, with, with Eric over there being that culinary, you know, that the culinary entrepreneur he is, you develop the in-house brands and you also develop some private private label brands, I guess, or, or other brands that, that work through the kitchen. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I mean, so to speak, right? So, so, yeah, I mean, as you said, Eric, right, he has all of this experience. He's built an uh, incredible network of uh, offline brick-and-mortar stores. Um, for, for, you know, listeners tuning in, right? Um, the foodie group has, I think something around like 250 brick and mortars across the country. But more notably, they have the most amount of Michelin stars in the country, right? So obviously they have a very, very high dedication towards quality. Um, you know, very, very good products and things like that, right? So we wanted to make sure we installed the same values, the same type of things uh, inside our company as well, right? But the reason why Eric, can be you know working with foodie and be working with cravers at the same time that cravers is not trying to be a digital version of foodie right we're not trying to just be a brand house what we're trying to really solve is specifically now right what, what our model has become is that we're specifically trying to solve this pain point of brands trying to navigate the digital landscape Right, and being able to, 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 to operate here, right? Which is not in the wheelhouse specifically of the foodie group, which focuses on you know the offline stores, right? Um, and, and the brick and mortar experience and things like that. Now, obviously, these brands also have an online presence and they also are able to grow these, you know, in, 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 in these other ways. But what we're trying to fundamentally do is different from what foodie is trying to do. Right. So similarly, when we're looking at the cloud kitchen landscape, when we look at some of these other players. Um, yeah, I mean, we want to build our own brands, of course. I mean, the more control that we have, great, right? The better, so we can offer more value to the customers, et cetera. But it's not the end goal, right? Customers still want the brands that they know. Customers still have this behavior, right? Um, where they could love Cravers, but that doesn't mean that they want to eat Cravers every single day. That's right? right. Um, and so we're really trying to figure out, look, well, what do the customers want? And how do we fulfill that, right? What does that mean for us? to be able to give them what really fits into their behavior, right? How do we get a slice of the pie instead of just being another competitor? Yeah.
2: And I want to ask, as you were on your journey for for Cravers, and then I guess the pandemic hit, and, you know, from the looks of it, it accelerated, I mean, my presumption is that because of the situation, it accelerated the growth of Cravers. Was there ever a point when you were doing the business, when you initially set it up where you said, it, it might not work or uh, you were you, there were points where, there were low points. i mean for any entrepreneur there's a low point for you right whatever you do was there a low point for you guys where you said oh this, this might not work or this pandemic might you know might be the demise of our business uh can you share with that just how then how, how did you guys get through that situation
1: yeah so actually funnily enough it was the opposite for us so we had incorporated you know we were putting together ideas q4 2019 I incorporated January 2020. And at the time, you know, all of us were kind of just like, okay, cool. There's this cloud kitchen idea. Cool. I was working at coins.ph at the time. I had a full time. All of us had full time jobs. We we're all doing our own thing. You know, we incorporated January, started building by February, and then the lockdown hit in March, right? And then that's when all three of us were kind of, you know, sitting in a virtual Zoom reading together and saying, okay, well, you know. Okay, maybe it's time, right? This is a sign that, like, uh, I mean, this is here to stay, right? With Whether or not the pandemic stays for the long-term, not just as a short-term band-aid solution, but look, digitalization is going to happen. Inevitably, people are forced, right? We learned... From day one of the lockdowns, right? People are forced to download, grab, then trying to, you know, trying to get all of these digital services and whatever. So for us, it was, a, you know, three, four, five months in, uh, we realized, okay, well, shit, this is super real, right? And that's when, you know, both VIX uh, had, you know, both of us had left their full time roles and started committing <laughs> really to cravers and, then, you know, kind of dived in, right? Now, that being said, of course, uh, the opposite is happening now, right, with the re- uh, the economy reopening. And, you know, we've always known that this would happen. We we're always looking forward to this happening on a personal level. You know, so it, it's a challenge, obviously, but one that we were prepared for, right? One that we had anticipated well in advance, um, where, again, the last two years of the pandemic, no one expected it to last that long, right? But during those two years, the reality is that it did... Help in certain aspects of our business. It helped in the education awareness aspect of practice, right? Um, and and just getting the customers into the behavior of it, right? So sure, people are not maybe ordering as much um, in the certain windows as they were before, right? But they're still ordering. The behavior is still there. It just shifted, right? Um, and that was an and a an kind of a behavior that we had always anticipated for. Right?
2: Well, initially, when when you left, I would call it your your previous day job, which is also technically a startup from coins, and, and moved here. You know, I often tell people, you know, that that's like your ultimate move to, to to leave what what looks like a stable job to a job, which you're still trying to figure out if it's going to survive. How how was that for you personally when when you had to make that transition from coins to 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 doing creators?
1: Uh, yeah, um, so. Uh you know, I've 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 actually had to do this jump three separate times, right? So the first time was, uh, you know, immediately when I had graduated school in the U.S. Um, you know, coming into Zalora Indonesia startup at the time in the Indonesia, obviously going from a U.S. salary to an Indonesian salary, all right? Um, you know, not only that, like, but also going to a startup, right? And all of these, obviously, that was a huge, right, crazy, crazy jump for me. I took in, maybe like 20% of my salary or something like that, right, to, to move over there and take this huge risk. Um, but I knew, I knew that the upside would be worth it. Right? I knew that there was some opportunity here, you know, something greater than what I would be able to achieve in the States. Um, the second time I had done that, so I had already then made that first jump, you know, to going to Zlora, climbed all the ranks, made it to the global team again, climbed the ranks. Um, and then I gambled it all, right? I put my entire life savings into the startup that I wanted to do inside London. I put all of my personal money into there. I funded it all myself. Um, it took a complete risk, right? Left that cushy job where I was just literally paid to travel mm-hmm. around the world. Um, I, I, you know, I left that to do my own thing, which, uh, you know, as much as I would love to share a success story there, uh, you know, the reality is that that startup did not survive past its second year. Um So, that would mean obviously that was a challenge. I mean, but it was a a risk that I had signed up for, right? I had known that as an entrepreneur, that that was totally a likely possibility of that happening. Um, And then I got into coins, uh, which had, you know, at the time just been acquired by Gojek. So they had, you know, money in the bank. They were hiring people, (laughs) right? They're giving us projects, right? There's lots of things happening. So, I mean, I had a cushy job. I mean, I had it super, super relaxed, right? Um, and, 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 uh, making, you know, pretty good money and and you know, the same same thing was, okay, well, I love what I'm doing with the coins. Obviously, great team, great leaders, great mentors. Um, but I've always known I was a builder. I always knew that I was gonna do something myself. So here we go again. Right. <laughs> same thing, right? Taking take I think I took this time I, I, my salary went down again like to like thirty three percent of what it was the year before that. Like I, I I'm used to it, right? I'm used to taking these gambles because Right, no risk, no reward. Right?
2: <laughs> well, what does that come from? That sort of motivation for you to be—I mean, it's, it seems to be that it, it was built into you, or there's a, there you're self-motivated to do to take this. You know, I'm willing to uh, forego financial reward or financial security to 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 gamble on some or to, to invest in something even larger than that. One is it something that you kind of grew up with? Is it something that was in you? Can you you know help me better understand? Where it was coming from. Yeah.
1: Uh, So definitely not something I grew up with. Um, So I, you know, actually, funnily enough, so my entire life as a child growing up, uh, my dad was a pastor uh, in the States. So, and and we had four kids and we were living off of a pastor's salary, um, uh, you know, so you can imagine, right? I mean, not a very particularly, let's say, glamorous life in the States. Um, And so, you know, money and stability, you know, money, financial stability was never Given for me, right? I had always, you know, kind of dealt with that and always something that I was. Um, so, right, it was something that, uh, you know, I, I grew up, I'd grown up in a certain type of situation. Um, I've always known that I was going to, you know, work towards breaking out of it. Um, but I guess for me, the bigger driver was that, well, number one, I, I mean, I'm not afraid of taking that risk. I'm a gambler and I've lived through similar, worse, much worse situations. Um, but number two is that, yeah, I mean, I guess part of being an entrepreneur, part of being, you know, part of what drives these startups is that, you know, me personally, I don't want to be working a day job when I'm 50, when I'm 60, right? I want to be, I, I, I want to bust my ass right now, right? Give 100, like 200% of everything that I have to give, um, and, you know, and then and then cash out as early and then, you know, spend time that I want to do the things that I want to do with, Right. Um, And it's not just a financial thing. Obviously, yes, I want to build. And, you know, this is, being in the startup ecosystem is a way to kind of fast track the things that I want to do. My own ambitions, my own, you know, career options and things like that as well, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I, for me, I'm prepared to gamble everything, right? I'm prepared to gamble everything for the things that I believe in. And when I believe in something, I really go head first, right? I really give it my all right because you can't half-ass it right if you're going to be an entrepreneur you can't half-ass it right so yeah um
2: yeah it's your foot ass
0: yeah
1: yeah. (laughs) super
2: Now, um, you, as you were developing the product, like I said, your, your backgrounds also, uh, you know, into I guess, with coins, Your background was also into into crypto, um, and eventually you developed uh, you developed uh, Kravers. Tell us a bit more about about uh, the how 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 you guys are going head first also into the metaverse with, with Kravers. How did that emerge, and is, was there the actual demand for people? I mean. Are you just just being pioneering so you could figure out what to do in that in that field or or do you really see that there is big potential uh, in, in the metaverse for the food for food entrepreneurs or for food for the food business?
1: Yeah. so this one was actually really to serve a specific purpose, right which was that you know we had realized that being a digital only brand, there are a lot of there are a lot of perks to being a cloud kitchen. And where, you know, we can operate a lot of brands, we can save costs, blah, 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 blah but there are very few advantages of being a digital brand, right? Um, where in the sense that it's hard to build loyalty for something that people have never seen, right? It's hard to build loyalty when, you know, in, in an online space, if you don't have any sort of offline presence, right, and they've only seen it online, how do you convince people, you know, how, how am I supposed to convince someone that my burgers are better than you know, a McDonald's burger, Army Navy burger, right? Um, Mm -hmm. It's hard to compete in that segment, so to speak, right? So, you know, going into 2022, going into the reopenings, you know, once we had closed our Series A round and had a bit of money in the bank, we took a pause and we took a step back and we said, well, look, during the pandemic, what people cared about is cheap food, right? They had to order food every single day or they had to order food a lot. So we had to be able to serve economically afford like good food, but that's still within a reasonable price. But with the reopenings now, the use cases are different. It's not just cheap quality, like cheap in quantity anymore. It's experience. It's like now I'm competing with the dine-in segment. Now I'm competing with the brick and mortar. Now I'm competing with these different things. So we needed to change. We needed to do something that being a digital only brand would play to our advantage, not to our disadvantage. So, when we had actually first thought about the key project that we wanted to do, um, the original pro- the original the original plan was not a metaverse experience. Um, the original plan was a VR experience where we wanted to create a kind of virtual food hall. you go in, you browse, you tweet it's, right? a pre, it's, like, a pre,
2: it's like a pre-pandemic experience. You would have done that pre-pandemic. The <laughs> VR experience would have yeah. been something that, that would make sense, right?
1: Yeah, definitely, and and so really, we wanted to create a space where people can interact with our brand. Something that you know is going to make someone go, "Wow, okay, that's cool." Like I understand it a little bit better, right? It's not just some random random square inch on the uh, on your phone. It, there's a whole experience. Um, now, unfortunately, uh, the VR experience that we had developed is not very good, <laughs> so we didn't end up pushing forward with that one. But then we were able to find a couple of other good technologies in the metaverse segment. Um, you know, where, where really the whole idea behind the Grayverse was that we wanted to be able to introduce the brands as if it were a physical space, right? It, when you're in a real food hall, um, you know, and Eric runs several different food halls, he knows this physically firsthand, right? Um, but we wanted to create that same vibe where you can walk in, you can look around, you can see the brands, you can interact with the brands, uh, you can interact with the other customers, right? To be able to walk around with each other and um, to be able to interact with our staff. Um. So that was really the idea, right? It, it, at the end of the day, it's not that we suddenly expect everyone to start going there and placing their orders. Like, no, we know that people are still going to be ordering from Graph, right? We know that people are still going to be ordering from 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 our website or wherever people are ordering from. Um. But this is it. Was really more of a way for us to say, "Here are our brands. Here's our work. Right? Come, come meet us. Get to know who we are. Uh, right? Which is something that we weren't able to do in the offline space." Right. So really more for brand awareness, brand recognition. Um, and I think going forward, I think this is what we'll start to see a lot of the metaverse being used for, right? It's for brand creators, it's for artists and 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 local creators, right? Um, and I think that's where we're gonna start to see really the most exciting developments coming up in the next couple of years.
2: Uh, truly very, very exciting. And you know, and, and the way that I see it, it's a very collaborative, um, cloud kitchen setup that you guys got have going over here. You you have collaborators, you have people who technically are competitors, but they aren't. And you can have other dark kitchens inside your cloud kitchen. Meaning mm-hmm. uh, it, it's okay. It's it's how you've developed the sort of like the business model uh of cravers. So where can I guess other entrepreneurs how can they how can they leverage business opportunities within the cravers uh Canteen ecosystem, or in general, where where do you think the entrepreneurs can still grow given the current ecosystem for, for for the food business?
1: Yeah, so I think what we're seeing now, right? So during the during the two years of the pandemic, you know, Grab had uh, you know uh, onboarded a crazy amount of local creators, right? And I know, I mean, firsthand, I several of my own friends had created their own brands, created their own products. And, and the thing is, these products are really good, right? People that take the time to really, you know, take a moment to say, look, I'm going to create food, not because I need the money necessarily, not because I'm trying to spend, you know, create money you know, trying to create a business. But like, there are a lot of people that, that said, look, I know how to do this one thing very well, right? Um, or I really like this kind of food. And I can't find any good ones here in the Philippines, so I'm going to make my own, right? Suddenly, there were office workers that had the time to do this. There were plenty of people that had, you know, secret culinary potential that just were never able to realize it, that were able to do it during the pandemic. And I'm sure you've seen this as well, right? I mean, with your Mercato Central and Mercato United. A lot lot of them, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so lots of entrepreneurs have come up and there's no shortage of them, right? The question is, well, what are you going to do with that, right? What are you going to do with that product, that brand now that you have it? Maybe some of these guys are going back to office now. Maybe they can't take care of those brands anymore, right? Um, so, so what do they do with it, right? Siam or to to be able to you know to not be able to do yeah. anything with it. So, so that's where Cravers comes in. We say, look, we understand that whether you're a, a single store location or you're an international franchise or whatever, like you need to make money right you need to sell your products and you have your limitations right there are certain things that you can and can't do so let us work with you on that and let us fill in the gaps where where you can't right so there are some food entrepreneurs that just say look okay i I, right I, i i have this product i want to grow this brand i trust you guys to run it for us right here it is right and then we run it for them we help grow it for them right and they're able to reach now 10 11 locations you know compared to their home kitchen that they were just in before Right. Um, and, and, and they're still making money, right? They get a cut from that. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, we're able to take these brands and really help them grow, right? So, and, and then there are other brands that are a bit more established, right? That might say, okay, we, you know, we're able to control this part. We're just going to provide it to you half ready, right? They still keep their secrets, right? And we just, again, do the legwork for them, right? We're able to just do the execution for them. So, really, the flexibility is, I think, what is, most applicable and relevant for these entrepreneurs that are looking to, you know, figure out how to grow their own brands.
2: Very exciting, very exciting. And then, uh, just in case people wanna, you know, participate in the Cravers ecosystem, where can they go? What what website can they, is there a website that they can visit? Is there a Facebook page that they can visit?
1: Yeah, so definitely you can go to cravers.com, which is K-R-A-B-E-R-S.com um you know that's where you can find more information about us but um if you're a brand or if you just want to get in touch you know you can reach us at hello at cravers.com or bd at cravers.com um and definitely we'll be able to to get you connected and learn more about your product and how we can kind of help grow that together Got that
2: and that's we, you know i I wish we could talk about talk at more length and i know that you're You've got the gift of gab, and we can keep on going if we had to uh, over here, uh, Victor. But then, but having said this, um, you've gained so much. I mean, you know, after you know, given your your hustle attitude, given uh, all the brands that you've helped put up and leave and put up again, I, I'm sure you have gained a lot of great business insights. You've got businesses that succeeded, businesses that failed, and you know, failure is just you know part of the whole spectrum of being an entrepreneur, right? So, can you help us right now? Maybe you've got three or four business and life hacks that you want to share with some of the entrepreneurs
1: listening to us here right now, what would those be? Sure. Um, so I, I do have a few. Um, so I, you know, I think for me, the first one, particularly for young entrepreneurs, right, particularly for people that are, you know, maybe just getting started in their career, i I guess maybe i should rephrase these in light of covid but number one would be to expose yourself right to to get out there introduce yourself get introduced to all of these different things that you don't know how to do right that you've never that you've never had exposure to and 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 try to understand it right even if it has nothing to do with what you're doing today just learn right get exposed right and and meet as many people as you can um number two so uh, i think this one is super incredibly important for me Uh, which was learn to work with people that are more senior than you right um if you constantly are working with people more junior than you how can you expect to grow how can you expect to learn right so you need to be able to learn how to work with the people that know more than you that can push you that can drive you right um and to be able to manage that right um number three so i i'd say is identify your north star right what what do you care about as a company um now i guess for most entrepreneurs they already have some form of this right um so for me what i realized was more important is that for me this north star is less for my own guidance more for my team right in the sense that i know my own north star i know these things that drive me and i have certain motivations certain things that push me but setting a north star as a company as a business is incredibly important to be able to get all of your people on the same page get everyone working towards the same thing right um and then last uh, number four, what I'd say is uh, be bold in creating, right? You know, everyone loves a bold, creative uh, disruptor, but also in destroying, right? Um, you know, there's this term that I love to use, which is creative destruction, right? So, <laughs> so you take take things apart, right? The work that and this is not just talking about an industry or some external forces. This is also including the work that you have done, the work that you've already set up, the work that you've already done. Our business, you know, is not the same as it was one year ago, right? We've already destroyed several parts of that and said, look, this doesn't work, right? We need to take it apart. We need to build something better, right? So yes, create boldly, but also don't be afraid to destroy boldly, right? Um, and create creative destruction, I think, is um, I also a very relevant uh,
2: guide. I love that. <laughs> C- create and destroy uh, create and destroy uh, boldly. I think that's an important thing. <laughs> and you, can, you can learn a lot from, from the master of startup. Again, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Vic, for joining us here in the program. For the, for the, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to you know it really piqued my interest looking forward to finding ways that we can collaborate between Cravers Canteen and Mercato here at the same time guys if you've got a guest that you want here on the show please let me know here on the Argila Desa podcast again guys thanks so much for joining us we will see you on the next podcast thanks a lot guys